Good morning, everybody. It is a beautiful thing to be alive today. It is so good, so good. We have more freedoms, more comfort, more things available to us than at any point in time in history. So it's a good thing to rejoice and appreciate that it is a beautiful thing to be alive today. So good. But I also recognize that there are some very difficult things about being alive today. It's not all just unicorns and rainbows. I get that. And one of those things that's very difficult that actually comes from all the good we have today is something called choice anxiety. Choice anxiety. It's because we have all of these amazing freedoms that we're faced with decision after decision after decision about where we're going to go, what are we going to do, who are we going to be. And so we have all of these choices constantly in front of us that can cause anxiety. So for instance, obviously you are here at Sterling College and in choosing to be a student here, you had to say no to being at other schools. But you have to wonder, would life have been better for you if you had chosen to be at a different school? Would you have better opportunities in your sport or maybe in the major that you have? Would the true love of your life perhaps have been at that other school? Have you made the right decision in coming to Sterling College? And these choices are irrevocable in the way they shape your life. And even just think about the majors you all are choosing. Is that the right one for you? Is that going to be the one that's most satisfying as a career, make the most money? Is that going to be right for you? So we face decision after decision after decision that can fill us with anxiety. So you can be in a moment like, man, I'm, I'm not even halfway through my 20s, and have I, am I already messed it up? Am I behind? Have I made the right choices so that people instantly can get filled with worry and wondering about their life? Choice anxiety. So for all of us, with these decisions that we're facing, I think what we're really trying to ask is how do we become, here's the question this morning, how do we become who we are meant to be? How do we become who we're meant to be? I'm sure for all of us in this room, you have that inner sense of calling and purpose in your life that you were made for something and you want to achieve that. You want to find that and you want to live in it. So how do we become who we are meant to be? This is the question I want us to dive into this morning and to explore and to leave you all with. So there's a lot of different answers that we could bring up to this question. A lot of people are saying different things, but one of the most common and prevalent answers today is captured really well in the movie Mulan. Mulan. And yes, this is going to be our cultural artifact for this morning. If you've not yet seen it, I'm sorry. It's been out for like 20 years, right? The first movie, if you missed that as a kid, I don't know where you were, so no spoiler alerts, it's on you if you've not seen this movie already. But also, clearly, this movie has a lot of controversy around it right now, and I am not gonna talk about any of that. I'm not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. None of that controversy. Instead, I want to walk through this movie and see how it attempts to answer our question of how do we become who we were meant to be. What is the answer that we see in the movie Mulan? So I just want to walk through a bit of the story, then just pause and assess it, and walk through a bit more of the movie, pause and assess, do a little bit of cultural analysis, and see what we learn. So the movie Mulan. This new 2020 version of the movie, not the old one, I'll be talking about the new 2020 version of the movie, it starts out 
with a young Mulan out in the middle of a field near her village. And she is practicing these sword maneuvers. She's like wielding the stick, but not as a clumsy 10-year-old. She seems like she's already been in the army for 30 years. She looks so experienced. And the scene or two later, you see young Mulan running through her village and chasing this chicken with a stick. And she's causing all this chaos in the little town square and she's breaking stuff. She climbs two or three stories up onto the roof of her village chasing this chicken. And the chicken jumps down and flies back into its little corral, its cage, and there's Mulan up two or three stories in the air. And she's trying to get down, she slips and starts to fall to the ground. And you're like, man, this movie's gonna be over in two minutes. Mulan's done, like game over. But somehow, using her stick, she like flips and rights herself and lands on the ground with this perfect finesse, right? This kung fu finesse that we've come to associate with like crouching tiger, hidden dragon. It's like Neo from the Matrix is housed in the body of this 10-year-old Chinese girl. That's what Mulan is like. So right from the beginning, we get this sense that Mulan is not normal, that she's made for something more. She's made for something more. Her family obviously is not super thrilled by all this athletic prowess and fighting ability that Mulan naturally has. Her dad kind of turns a, a loving eye, like kind of blinds, uh, turns it away from it, lovingly ignores it. But her mom and the rest of her culture are trying to press her into being this prim and proper woman so that she can be a, a great potential bride for someone. That's how she can bring honor on her family, is being a great bride for someone. But critically, what people want for her life is not what comes natural to Milan. It has nothing to do with her natural athletic, acrobatic, and fighting skills. Instead, it has to be doing with being a bride. And so this movie, right from the start, is trying to teach us and form us. It might seem like a normal story and beginning, but it actually is powerfully framing who we are and what's wrong with our world. It's powerfully framing who we are and what's wrong with our world. These stories are trying to shape us, as Paul was pointing out. So we're used to maybe Christians and people from other religions having a clear set of beliefs that they try to communicate to people and they want other people to believe the same thing, but we don't often realize how this is also happening in the TV shows we watch, the movies we take in, the songs that we listen to. They're evangelizing us. You are being converted towards a certain set of beliefs. They want you to take on a certain framework about how life works and what's true. And that's, yes, even happening in silly Disney movies like Mulan. They're trying to shape us towards a certain belief. So I want to pause in this and just ask, what is Mulan trying to teach us? What is that frame of belief? And again, it's not just Christians or other religions that have this, but we could say that even Hollywood and Disney has a gospel called the secular gospel. The secular gospel. And this is a non-God, non-Jesus version of good news about life and who we are and where we can find joy. Again, a non-God, non-Jesus version of the good news about where can you find joy and meaning in life. That's this secular gospel. And the story goes something like this. First of all, we are all inherently good. 
first of all. We are all inherently good. So at our core, according to the secular gospel, we are good and decent, kind, wonderful human beings, every single one of us. So think of Mulan running through her town, creating all that chaos. She's making a mess, but we still like know that Mulan is good. We don't question that at all, even though she's making a disaster. We know that deep at her core, she's a good person. So if everyone is good, though, why are there still problems in our world? This leads us to the second point. We're all inherently good, but we have lost touch with our true good inner selves. We've lost touch with our true good inner selves. There's these external identities, these binding commitments, these cultural and family pressures that are being put on people that lead them to lose touch with who they really are, that child inner true self, and that leads them to be separated and lost from that. That is the problem, according to the secular gospel. This is so different than what Jesus taught, that the issue Jesus said is actually inside of us. It's our self-centeredness, but according to this gospel, the problem's not inside of you, it's outside of you, and the external world and the pressures that it's putting on you, that's the real issue, so that we've lost touch with who we really are. And this isn't just in movies, it's captured all over the place. There's a writer named Glennon Doyle, and she says this, captures really well the sense of losing yourself because of outside pressure. She says, when I was a child, I felt what I needed to feel, and I followed my gut and planned only for my imagination. See, it's good. She thinks it was right. She knew herself. I was wild until I was tamed by shame, until I started hiding and numbing my feelings for fear of being too much, until I started deferring to others' advice instead of trusting my own intuition, until I became convinced that my imagination was ridiculous and my desires were selfish, until I surrendered myself to the cages, get that, to the cages of others' expectations, cultural mandates, and institutional allegiances, until I buried who I was in order to become what I should be, not what she's supposed to be, but what others think she should be. I lost myself when I learned how to please. Now, there is something true about what Glennon Doyle's pointing out, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But first of all, if we are inherently good according to the secular gospel, and we have lost touch with ourselves, what's the solution? How do we get out of this? So I want to come back to the movie. Later, when Mulan's a little bit older, she's a young adult now. She's right on the edge of getting married, and her mom and the rest of the people in her town are working so hard to get her ready, and you can just tell it's driving Mulan nuts. And she gets this window of opportunity as these soldiers come to town. The emperor has sent them because he's trying to recruit an army and trying to raise that up because there's these invaders that are coming from the outside and attacking their country. And so they come and they draft people, one person from every family, and it has to be a male. And so Mulan's father, as the only male in her family, has to step up and sign up for the army. Even though he's an old and injured man and he can hardly walk, he has to put himself out there. And you know it's going to be the ruin of her father and the ruin of her family because there's no way he's going to be able to protect himself. So Mulan, seeing this and her opportunity, 
She sneaks down in the middle of the night and she steals her father's armor and his sword and she runs off to the army in his place, obviously having to hide the fact that she's a woman so that she can come into a man-only, male-only army. And thus begins this ridiculous and humorous journey of Mulan figuring out life in the midst of an army full of these rough and tumble men. So she has to figure out how to shower around these guys, how to talk about like love life around these guys, how to fight and bond with them. And she holds her own and then some. She becomes the best warrior in her entire group. And so it seems like Mulan has succeeded. She's reached her goal and become who she's meant to be and this great respected warrior, but there's still an issue because all of this is coming at the cost of her hiding the hide the fact that she is a woman. So there's a clear lesson the movie is trying to teach us. You cannot be who you are meant to be if you hide any part of yourself. You must be true to yourself completely, according to the movie. And this brings us to the third point of this secular gospel. One, again, that we are all inherently good. Two, that we've lost touch with our true inner self. And three, self-expression is our salvation. Self-expression is your salvation. So even though Mulan has achieved all of these things and she's a great and respected warrior in the army, she still has this deep, unsettled feeling because she's hiding a part of who she is. So according to the secular gospel, the only way forward for her and for you is self-expression to be true to who she is. Otherwise, she'll never be happy. That's the only route forward for Mulan, is to be true to herself. But the question for us here today is, will this actually work for us? Will this actually work for Mulan? Is self-expression actually the route to our salvation? Is it actually the route to our salvation and becoming who we were meant to be? Now pause here again. I need to say that there is something very true about what Mulan is going through. There's something right and good about what this lesson is. If you're hiding yourself, parts of who you are, in order to please other people, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to be demoralizing and discouraging. So yes, there's something very true about the importance of being true to who you are. And scripture speaks this very clearly because God has created you. He has made you. And so you're supposed to display who he has made you to be gladly and that glorifies God. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork. Other translations say we're God's masterpiece, a work of art, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you are uniquely crafted by God with detail. You're not just a mass-produced item that's coming off the line, but instead, God has taken attentive details with you to create you. It says in Psalm 139 that God knit us together in our mother's womb. Not that God literally had a pair of needles and was knitting us. Don't hear me that. He's saying that's the kind of intentionality that God had in making you. As if someone's knitting you together. I'm not a knitter by any means, but I have an older sister who knits all the time, all these baby blankets for her friends, and I see it all the time. The thing is, it takes 
forever for her to finish a blanket. She's crazy quick, but it still takes so long because it's like stitch after stitch after stitch and row after row after row. It is painstaking, deliberative, careful work to knit something together. In the same way, this is how God crafted each and every one of you individually. You have so much value, you have no idea. The God who made everything was purposefully shaping your very life, body, and personality. None of you, not any part of you, is an accident. You are carefully crafted by God and have immense value before God. So yes, you should not submit to other people's expectations to change you into something that you're not. The only voice that matters is God, the one who created you. It matters what God thinks and what God says about you since he is your maker. That's what matters. So self-expression in line with God's purposes is a very good thing. I'll say that again. Self-expression in line with God's purposes is a very good thing. But, but, self-expression alone, hear me, is unsatisfying because it can't tell us who we are meant to be. Self-expression alone is unsatisfying because it can't give us a clear purpose for who we are meant to be. It's unsatisfying in this. It gives us no direction. Think back to the beginning when I talked about this choice anxiety. You have all these decisions to make about where you're going to go to college, what you're going to major in, what sport you might play, who you might date, all of these decisions constantly weighing on your shoulders. And it's just not helpful to have your only guide be, be true to yourself. Because we don't know who we're supposed to be. We don't know our purpose. So it's not helpful for me just to try to be true to myself. I don't know who I am. Or what I'm made for. That's the whole question. So we have all of these freedoms and choices, but they become debilitating because we don't have a clear, set goal. You feel this with me? One author named Mark Sayers, a cultural commentator and pastor in Melbourne, Australia. I love his stuff. He says, we are drowning. We are drowning in freedoms. That's not the problem. We have so many choices and options in front of us, but we're thirsting for meaning. The individual, you and I, we receive constant messaging from our culture. Yes, Mulan and all these movies and things we take in. That to be happy and content, we need to increase our input of freedom. That's, that's the answer. We need more freedom, more self-expression, releasing more freedom into our already overflowing tank of freedom would not solve the problem created in our system by low reserves of meaning and the relational. That's why we're so lonely. That's why we're so lost. That's why we're so overcome with anxiety. We have low reserves of meaning in the relational, so the answer will not be more freedom. The answer will not be more self-expression. This is where in the way of Jesus, what Jesus taught, he said that we were created to be in a relationship with God. You were created to know God and delight and enjoy him. That is your ultimate purpose. 
so that God could put his spirit in your inner being and you would be able to relate with, commune with God and have joy in your inner being. This is the main thing you're created for. That's what God made you for, to delight and know him. And I've used this illustration before maybe here, so I apologize, but think about a sailboat. A sailboat just cruising through the waves with its hole in the water. Just clearly, that's what a sailboat was made for, to be in the water. But imagine that same sailboat trying to go down a street where it's just wrecking havoc on its hole, scraping it down on the road. Clearly, that's not where a sailboat is supposed to be. In the same way, with the same gravity, you were made and created to be in relationship with God and to delight in him. That is like you cruising through the waves. And anything else, no matter how much we identify that with being true to yourself or discovering yourself, it will never satisfy you, but will feel like you scraping your hole against the pavement because you were not made for that. So we have a deep purpose that we have been given in Jesus, and that is to know God and to delight in him. It's a purpose beyond ourselves. It's a purpose beyond ourselves. And to the movie's credit, it actually points us in the same direction, in the same direction. Later in the movie, after Mulan has rescued her fellow soldiers in the midst of a battle, and she saved all of their lives, she's the hero, she finally reveals that she's a woman. It's like, surprise! And they're all like freaking out and don't exactly take this news super well. They kick Mulan out of the army, and they tell her that if she ever comes back, that they will be forced to kill her. She'll forfeit her life if she ever returns to the army. So now Mulan is isolated and alone. But it's fascinating that in this moment of isolation, all the obligations of family and friends come back to Mulan. It's here in her isolation that she discovers a plot to kill the emperor, and she knows the only way to rescue him, she'll have to go back to the army, back to her friends, to get the help that she needs. So she does. She runs back and goes to her friends and her commanding officer in the army and tells them about this plot to kill the emperor. And at first, they don't really believe her, and you think, like, ah, oh, this is going to be the end of the Mulan again, like, this is the end of the movie, but they actually believe her because of her boldness and because of her commitment. They realize she's telling the truth. So she risks her life to bring this truth. And so they welcome her back and go on this crazy adventure to save the emperor. But here's the critical point here. It is not self-expression but self-denial that truly frees Mulan. Again, it's not self-expression, but self-denial that truly frees Mulan. This is where she starts to find life. It's when she gets her eyes off of herself and onto the needs of others that she finds a purpose that's greater than herself. It's when she risks her life and puts her own life on the line, that's when she finds out what she's actually made for. That's when she becomes who she's meant to be. It's in the midst of self-denial. This is the heart, the heart of the movie. The very end, again, if I haven't spoiled it enough for you already, 
She's not celebrated for going on a journey of self-discovery. Mulan is celebrated for risking her own life to help other people. This is how she brings honor on herself and how she brings honor on her family. So how does this help us answer our question here this morning? How do we become who we're meant to be? How does this help us answer the question? Hear me. It is not in being true to yourself or in discovering yourself that you will find life. Rather, it is in denying yourself that you will truly find life. As Paul mentioned a couple weeks ago, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 24, Jesus says this. Here's words. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So as much as we're consumed with ourselves, we're going to be lost, but as much as we give ourselves up for Jesus, then we find life and satisfaction. And Jesus is not calling us to this dreary life of never doing anything that we want to do. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. Rather, he's calling us to get out of this exhausting feedback loop of always chasing our own tail and trying to figure out who we are. He's trying to lead us out of that debilitating and exhausting place and saying, instead, find the true reason that you were made. Find the true reason you were created, and that's finding life in me. Deny yourself and follow me. Here's where we find life. And as Brett read for us last week in John 10.10, Jesus says again, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So this is why Jesus came. Not to seek out his own pleasure, not for his own self-expression. Rather, Jesus came taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, it says in Philippians. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. So it's in this ultimate self-denial by Jesus that you and I get welcomed into this ultimate fullness of life. It's only because Jesus is crucified that now you and I can actually have hope of resurrection in life. Now, even now in him, his spirit in our inner being. So the real choice for all of us here this morning is what gospel are you believing what gospel are you believing? Because surely you're listening to some story and you're believing some framework of life. You call yourself a Christian or not, you are believing some gospel. Which one is it? That if you seek out your own pleasure enough, you seek out who you are enough that will lead you to life? Or are you believing that, yes, in Christ, God is freely offering us joy and life to the full? And that in denying yourself and following him, you will find who you were meant to be. That's the true gospel. So in that, pray with me. We'll sing a little bit more here. Lord, I thank you for your truth. And Lord, it's not always just simple or straight comforting because there's something about denying ourselves that sounds like an intense and difficult challenge. But I love, Lord, that you lead us in a life-giving but challenging way. So teach us Lord, to count the cost for the students in this room to actually look at their lives and what they're following and believing. 
Where do they think that they'll find life, Father? Would you illuminate that in their minds right now? And instead, set in them a craving for you where they can have real fullness of life. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.